Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Good morning. How's it going? I'll just chat with you on the second row or wherever that came from. Uh, So glad you guys are with front row, which is like extra credit in heaven, Um, I think. Uh, We're in part two of this series called Runaway, and we talked about this last week, but I don't know if any of you have a story as a kid where you ran away, like not a legitimate, like psychologically um, traumatizing experience. I just mean as a kid where you really have no place to go, but you try to do it anyway, and you pack, you know, your backpack as an eight-year-old with everything you think you need, which is like transformers and, you know, whatever else, and then you get out to the end of the street and realize you have nowhere to go because you're eight, and you thought a lot about what you're running from, which was your horribly unreasonable parents, but you didn't think about what you were running to. Like anybody have that experience? Um, Just my home as a a six or eight year old, but it's happened for a lot of us. And the thing that we said last week, that's kind of funny is I don't think that dynamic changes a lot, meaning like there's a more mature version, but you get to these certain places in life where just what's going on in life tempts you to just want to run. And so we run out of relationships, we run away from good decisions financially, we run toward maybe self-medicating behaviors, like we just run. And one of the places or the people that we run from the most is we run from God. And we do the same thing that you did as like an eight-year-old. You're obsessed with what you're running away from because maybe God has not seemingly come through for you lately. God hasn't answered any prayers. Um, It doesn't seem like, you know what I'm talking about, that dynamic where you've been so faithful and it doesn't seem like anybody's noticing, so why do I keep doing this? Or just that thing where it doesn't match up any longer and you're just really, really struggling to maintain faith. And we, we think about what we're running from and we don't think about what we're running to. And we don't run physically most of the time, but again, relationally, financially, in terms of priorities, we run, or maybe that dynamic where you have this version of like childhood faith, and then you just decided you're not doing it anymore. And you're not even really sure why you're not doing it anymore, but you're just not, and in a sense, like you're kind of running from God. Or you know exactly why you're not doing it anymore. Like the reason is because you started to make some different decisions and those decisions didn't match up with your theology. So you just decided to go get new theology. Like that's a thing that happens a lot. And so you just decide there is no God and now I'm gonna go find intellectual reasons to support the fact there is no God. But the reality is it's not really an intellectual belief problem. It's a behavioral problem. I just wanna do my own thing. In a sense, you're kind of running from God. Or it's that dynamic where you legitimately don't believe. Like you walked away because some things just didn't add up or, or your version of faith as a child, like honestly seemed like there was a lot of holes in that. It was a house of cards, but you're still wrestling with this thing where you don't measure up to your own standards and it just feels like something's off. And yet you've already decided you don't believe in God. Or it's that dynamic where like, you know God's calling you to something, God's propelling you towards something, and you just have a hard no on the table. Like, I'm just not gonna do that. Like, I wanna follow you. I haven't abandoned Jesus, but like, no. Thank you, God, but no, like, I'm not doing that. In a sense, 
like you're running. And here's the thing for a lot, not all of us, but some of you will relate, unfiltered radio all over the state, listening, watching, podcasting, those of you in the room, like we, we a lot of times experience this thing where we just know that there is being some chaos created by our running. And and sometimes you get to this certain point where you start to think like, I think at some point along the way, I'm gonna need to knock this off. At some point along the way, I'm gonna need to stop running. In fact, here's another dynamic. For for a lot of us, we've been in certain seasons where we actually planned that day. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I'm gonna stop running and I'm gonna take God seriously right after spring break 2023 because I've been really looking forward to that. And Panama City is gonna, you know, or whatever it is. Or like, you know, as soon as we have kids, like we're gonna start to take this whole thing serious again or right after we're married, or what, you know, right after I do this deal, because I'm not really sure God's in favor, but I'm gonna kind of ignore God for this season and then we'll circle back around later. And we've, in a sense, kind of planned the day where we're gonna stop running in that area of our life. So here's what we've discovered so far in this series. And this is such a big idea. And I don't know how this will land depending on kind of your view of God growing up, but here's the reality. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. And you can't outrun God in the sense of God is going to continue to pursue you. Like God is gonna continue to run you down because God has a destiny and a will for your life. And in a lot of cases, in his love, in his grace, he'll do everything he can to move us back to the place that he he knows he has designed our life for. So in this series, we're looking at the most infamous runner of all time. And maybe you know his story, but it's the story of Jonah, who is uh, a guy whose story mirrors our story in a bunch of ways. Now, if you weren't here last week, go listen to the podcast, get it on the Centerpoint Church Florida app, because I kind of set up why maybe you should consider taking Jonah seriously, because I know we have a lot of skeptics that listen. So immediately when I say Jonah, like, are you serious, bro? Like, you the story of the guy that got swallowed by a fish and then he got vomited back up onto dry land. So just so, go Google um, Michael Packard, 2021. Um, This guy, number one, survived a plane crash, which is, that's crazy enough. And then later on in 2021, he was um, eaten by a humpback whale and then he was basically vomited up onto dry land. So my only point is it could happen, all right? And then here's the other reason why we think maybe it could happen, even though it's a crazy story, is because Jesus referenced Jonah in, I think, Luke 11, Matthew 12. And we say this all the time. Jesus, no secular historian will doubt that Jesus lived, Jesus died. And then there is, I believe, overwhelming historical evidence, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Jesus rose from the dead and he referenced Jonah as being a legit story. And so my basic kind of understanding of the apologetics of scripture is go with the guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and then pull it off. So if he's like a guy was swallowed by a whale and then spitting up on dry land, I'm like, I'm with you because you rose from the dead, right? So that's the other reason that you should take it seriously. But either way, here was my out I gave you last week. You've watched really good movies that were fictional or read something really good that was fictional. And then that fictional story created legitimate change. Anybody? So if you just can't, you're not there yet, that's fine. I don't want you to miss what God's gonna do these next couple weeks. Just view it as your favorite movie that you don't believe and yet it actually compels you to, to make real change. So 
The story of Jonah is Jonah was like this prophet of God. He was sent by God to be his spokesman to tell people that basically you need to repent or change your mind about God. And specifically, he was given an assignment to go down to this place called Nineveh in Assyria. Now that's the other thing, by the way, is that generally fairy tales don't have dates and addresses. This was 750 BC in a real place in Nineveh in Assyria. God comes to Jonah and is like, I want you to go down there and I want you to preach to these people and tell them that, that God loves them, but they need to change what they're doing or there's gonna be consequences. And just so you don't think that God's being overly harsh, I said this last week, the Assyrians who Jonah was sent down to had perfected the art of skinning people alive. So if any, even if you don't believe in God, if there was a God and he was calling people to repent, Assyria would be first on the list. Like you skin people alive, you should probably change the way you live. So Jonah is sent down to them. He gets the word from God. And basically Jonah's response is, I hear you, God. Thank you for the assignment. No thanks. This is a lateral career move at best. This is not gonna go well. None of these people are gonna listen. And so what Jonah does, you may know, he goes the complete opposite direction. He goes southwest down through Joppa to Tarshish, modern day Spain. So God's like, I want you to go here. And Jonah's like, not only am I not gonna go here, I'm not even gonna hang out in the general vicinity. I'm just gonna go the complete opposite direction. And he runs from God. And what Jonah ultimately really discovers that we're gonna look at for a few minutes today is that God is extravagant in his grace. I mean, over the top, disproportionate. He will meet you where you are with what you've done and then he will always give you more grace than you could ever imagine. He is extravagant with his grace, but he's also thorough with his discipline because he loves us. Like discipline, and what I mean by that in such a way that it says, uh, listen, this is not opposed to my grace, opposed to my love. This is actually the catalyst or the outflow of my incredible love for you, my will for your life, my plans for you, out of that love, out of that grace, like a perfect parent. And I know some of you have a lot of parental baggage so maybe not your jacked up parent, the person who raised you, and I may, it may be difficult to even think of God as father, but if you could imagine a perfect heavenly father, this is what we've been called to relate with God around. And he says, listen, like a great parent, I want the best for your life. And my discipline is a discipline that says that at some point along the way, there's certain moments where I'm gonna provide something to get your attention. And I'm gonna provide something to get your attention, not to pay you back. You were already paid back through Jesus at the cross. You don't need paid back again so that I could win you back, so that I could get you back, so that I could take you back. And in fact, sometimes the thing that God will provide to get our attention is to expedite us getting the exact thing that we want, only to realize that what we wanted was not ultimately what was best for our life so that God could move us back into the rhythm of what he has planned for our future. And here's the thing for some of us. Some of us are, are maybe right now facing the chaos of some decisions that we've made. And it feels like in this moment that what you're experiencing or the consequences of those decisions seem disproportionate. Like I did this and then this is flying out of control and it just doesn't seem like those two things link up. Like, yeah, it was a dumb decision, but I just feel like what I'm walking through right now is just disproportionate. It's over the top. And it might be that God in his love, God in his grace is working to get your attention, to move you back to the place that he has designed for your life, for the will that he has for your life. 
So you know the story, Jonah is ultimately swallowed by a whale. He journals his experience. I was thinking about this this week as I was looking at this story. I don't know if any of you grew up in church. For some reason, I always thought that um, Jonah journaled his experience in real time. Anybody else? Like he was in the whale going, I gotta write this down, I'm gonna forget it. Like, I don't know where he got the journal from. I don't know how he had a pen in 750 BC. But my entire growing up, it's like Jonah trying to keep his head above water and then journal the whole thing while he's in there. So just so you know, this is news to me. Um, For some reason, it just clicked now um, that the flannel graph story was completely wrong and that Jonah actually journaled about his experience after he was um, thrown up by the whale. And he gets to the place where he's like, "I'm, I'm just, I'm done running. And here's what the author of the self-titled book of Jonah says in Jonah 1.17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish. Three days, three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Because that's what you do when you're swallowed by whales. The first thing you do is pray. And then Jonah repeats something. This is so powerful to me that it's, this is... 2,750 years ago, approximately. And Jonah repeats something that has been echoed through the generations by millions of people since then. In verse two, he said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. That's such a powerful idea because for some of us, I think you'll relate to this. Like, this is my story. There are certain moments where in my distress, it was the first time that I called out to the Lord in a long time. Like in your distress, you got a pregnancy test that you weren't really welcoming or didn't expect. And in your distress, you called out to the Lord. Or a marriage was hanging on by a thread and you got to the point where now you're not sure if it's gonna be able to be saved even though you had held out a lot of hope. And in your distress, you called out to the Lord. You got to the end of a thing financially and you know it wasn't gonna work out or the business was gonna fail or, or you got to this place where you had to confess something and you had no idea fully what the ramifications of that confession were gonna look like, or you got to this place where you were overwhelmed with anxiety, or you moved to this place where like, you were just restless about the future, you weren't happy any longer, or you moved to this place in your life where you could not stuff the memories of what had happened any longer, and it was in that moment, in that place, under that distress, that maybe for the first time in a long time, if not ever, you called out to the Lord in your distress. And here's the really interesting thing for some of us. In those moments, no matter what you thought previous to that, no matter what you believed previous to that, no matter what you tried to justify previous to that, in that moment, you cried out to the Lord anyway. Like, isn't it true? Maybe not everybody, but isn't it true that a lot of times circumstantial brokenness has a way of overwhelming all of our intellectual arguments? that circumstantial brokenness has a way of overriding and trumping all of our theological arguments, that circumstantial brokenness in some ways can tear down and begin to lessen all of the resistance that we previously had. And it's not that none of those things are important. It's just that in your distress, they become a lot less important. And there Jonah is, and he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. And then he repeats it. And from the depths of the grave, I called for help. And this is maybe not what you've experienced with your relationship with other Christians or the church, but you listened to my cry. Because God listens to the desperate cry of desperate people 
in desperate circumstances that they created. And this is what I'm convinced of with a lot of our experiences with church as usual is that we got to the end of ourselves or we got to this place of despair a lot of times. And the answer that we got was not an answer of empathy, was not an answer of grace, was not an answer of love. There was a lot of invitation of get your crap together and then join us. And so you got to this place of your despair and then you began to run from God because you were afraid that you would get the same response from God that you got from the local church. But I'm just telling you that this is the promise is that when you cry to God, God answers the prayer of desperate people in desperate circumstances that they created. Because God is extravagant, is disproportionate with his grace. Like, here's the thing, man, I, I just want you to understand is that God's incredible grace, which means undeserved unearned favor. You can't do anything to get it. You can't do anything to keep it. It is God's gift as we begin to follow Jesus. That God's grace, God's love is a constant invitation that no matter how far you have run, you can come home. In verse three, you, this is Jonah still in the whale. You, meaning God, hurled me into the deep, meaning this, like it was the sailors, but it wasn't really the sailors because I know God that in your love, like a perfect heavenly father, you've been trying to run me down the entire time and into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me and all of your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight and yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. And then we get like, just real quick, this really interesting part of Jonah's prayer that reveals something that I think is really important in terms of the tension that we experience in certain seasons where we're running. Here's the question I have for you. At what point, at what point do you think Jonah repented? Again, repented is just like, I'm changing my mind on how I'm thinking about God. I'm changing like what I'm doing. I know that where I'm at and what I'm running toward is not worth it any longer. But at what point in the journey do you think that Jonah repented? I think it was somewhere around one, two, three. And I think as he's flying over the edge of the boat, he's like, I surrender all. Like I'm coming back to like to God. I repent. I'm done with all that. I think that's the moment that Jonah repented. I think he was done by the time he hit the water. Like um, a few, uh, I mean, I don't know how long ago this was. This is a year or so ago. Uh, we had like our boys in the, the tub upstairs taking their bath. And like anytime the boys do anything that is unsupervised for a few minutes, um, like crazy stuff could happen. I could tell you so many stories. And so we're up there and it's loud, but like, as far as I know, everybody is good and um, they're fine. And I'm gonna check on them in a minute. And it's, you know, without supervision, I know it's gonna take them an hour when it should have taken them five minutes, but whatever. I just didn't wanna deal with it at the time. And I'm in my kitchen and I'm talking to Nicole and I think everything is fine until I feel water dripping on my face in the downstairs kitchen. And my first thought is something is severely wrong or we have a leak on our roof. And then I realized, no, 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 I'm downstairs. So the leak is coming from an upstairs room. That's the bathroom. And so I run upstairs and there's just water flowing over the bathroom tub all over the floor. It's like, it felt like, I don't know, a couple inches deep, but I'm a pastor telling a story. So it's probably exaggerated. So it was a lot of water. And immediately I kind of lose my cool because... 
This is what you do if you're human. And I get them out of there and we try to clean the thing up. And then I just, I remember after it's like, okay, I have got to do something to get their attention because massive mess, had to fix the roof, all that stuff. And I don't even remember what I did, but I know my wife and I've had several of these moments where the other has to kind of be the voice of reason that after several weeks, they're like, I think they got it by now. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what I did, but it was disproportionate where finally Nicole was like, I don't think they're ever gonna flood the bathroom again. Like you need to chill. But isn't it true? Like, you know, the momentary discipline was great because I sent them to the room. I don't know what else I did, but it continued for several days. Um, One day was not enough. And the reason, and I think this is an important dynamic, is that like there's certain things, and this is a small example. The stakes are low, whatever. I can fix the the downstairs ceiling as much as it was, you know, aggravating and stressful, but the stakes are not that high. But there are certain things that I want to be thorough enough to make sure that they never do that again. And there are certain moments that when we run, I think there's certain things that the story of Jonah shows us that God will intervene and God will get our attention and he will do it long enough so that it is thorough enough that in that specific area, we're never tempted to run again. Not because God's trying to get us, because God understands at the end of that thing, the chaos and the circumstantial brokenness and the broken hearts And as a loving heavenly father, there's certain moments where I think he goes, I will do everything that I can to get your attention so that you can avoid piling up more guilt and more dysfunction for your future. And as a perfect heavenly father, I want more for your life. And so he describes his time in the fish. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed, seaweed was wrapped around my head. And again, I think Jonah is already at the place as he's in the middle of a whale going, I'm, God, I'm done running. I get the picture. Like I was done the moment they were throwing me overboard and then we were in the middle of the storm. Like I surrender, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. And yet there he is in the middle of a fish for a couple days to the roots of the mountains. I sank down and he uses hyperbole and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. Because in God's love and his expression of his love is what he does at certain moments. The Israelites became captives of the Babylonians for 70 years. I think they learned their lesson in seven months. Like, Like Moses led the people of Israel in the wilderness, if you know any of the story of the scriptures, and they were basically wandering for 40 years. I think they learned their lesson in about four weeks. King David made some brutally bad decisions and there was family dysfunction and there was chaos and and there was assaults to his authority and his leadership. And yet with all that David did, and it was really extreme, God still decided that he would keep his promise and through David's line, a Messiah, was ultimately born. But you, end of verse six, but you, basically Jonah's like, when I thought it was over, when I thought you were done with me, when I thought there was no way forward, when I thought that the expiration date on God ever doing anything with my life was up. But you brought my life from the pit, by the way, that I created, Lord my God. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. And my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. And then what Jonah describes, I'm just telling you, stay with me and we'll be done. What Jonah describes 
is the dilemma and the dynamic of every runner. And then what he says next condenses our experience. What Jonah basically learned over a couple day period is what some of us learn over a three year period, what some of us learn over a 30 year period, what some of us learn in a three month season of our life. But he condenses all of our experiences in this moment. And here's what Jonah says. In verse eight, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit, which just means they give up, they lose, they abandon, at least for a season. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now, real quick, so you know what he's not saying. This is not that God's love, that God's grace, that God's favor is, is not present or that somehow God has retracted it. It means, and all of us have experienced this, that when we walk through certain things, that the experience of that love and that grace is just not there. Like one of the dynamics you see throughout the scripture is that one of the applications of grace is God sustaining and strengthening grace. It's not just grace at salvation that says, hey, you're forgiven, you're free, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. It's also the grace that continues to be a sustaining, strengthening force in every part of our life. And what Jonah is saying is what every runner eventually experiences. When you begin to run after worthless idols at the expense of God, you forfeit, you give up, you abandon the experience of his grace and his love. Here's what basically an idol is. This is not some like manufactured little statue. It could be that, but that's not really what it is practically. It's anything that you're willing to pursue and in your pursuit of that thing or acquisition of that thing or ability to keep that thing, you're willing to say no to God to get it. You're willing to say no to God to keep it. Meaning it can be a great thing. It can be a relationship. It can be sex. It can be pleasure. It can be a business. It can be a career. It can be your kids. It can be a hundred different things. And most of those things, God has created those things. Those are good things. But the moment you take a thing that has been created and you elevate that, whether it's career to the point that you're willing to deprioritize other bigger things that God has for your life, whether it's taking sex and making it the ultimate pursuit of pleasure to where you're willing to jack up other areas of your life, it's taking anything good and making it God to go in order to get love, acceptance, worth, security that ultimately I think can only be found in Jesus. I'm willing to say yes in terms of pursuing or keeping this thing and say no to God in order to get it. And in that moment, the created thing becomes a God that you worship. And Jonah in this moment is going, listen, I'm just telling you, those who run cling to worthless idols and they forfeit the, the experience of God sustaining and strengthening grace. And when they run, they're always running from God, but they're running to something else. A different way to live, meaning, purpose, pleasure, to the extent they're willing to say no to God to get it. And then this is what a lot of runners eventually experience it. Eventually in their running, they get to the end of whatever they're pursuing and realize that what they have been pursuing wasn't worth it. That what they've been pursuing didn't satisfy. And they begin to long for the thing that they gave up. They begin to long for the very thing that ultimately they missed out on and they realize that what they gained was not worth what they gave up the experience of the love and the grace and the pursuit 
and the favor of their heavenly father. They traded the experience of God's love and grace to get to the end of a season to recognize that what they pursued seems in that moment worthless. And we know this is true for this reason. Because in your despair, and when all of this stuff hits the fan, and when there is dysfunction and you're trying to rewind and you wish that you could make a different decision or you had never run to that place, in your despair, we know this is true because in your despair, you do not cry out for the thing that you pursued in place of God, you cry out for God. In that moment, you do not get to the end of your running and go, I just need more of this, or I just, it's not the pleasure, it's not the sex, it's not the friendship that you elevated, it's not the career, it's not trying to find your identity in your kids. When you get to the end of whatever that is, the self-medicating behavior, you're not crying out for the behavior, you're not crying out for more pleasure, you're not crying out for more money. You get to the end of whatever you pursued and in your despair, you don't cry out for that thing, you cry out for God. Because I think intuitively, like a lot of us know, like the thing that our hearts long for is the love, the acceptance, the security, the pursuit of our heavenly father. And when we're broken, broken by a lot of times our own decisions, it is only in that place that it becomes clear. I want back what I gave up. But I, Jonah says, with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then chapter three, verse one. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And what do you think Jonah did? And do you know why God came to Jonah a second time? Do you know why God's come to you a second time and a third time and for some of you a 42nd time? Because God is extravagant with his grace even though he's thorough with his discipline. And when he's talking about his sons and his daughters and his will and destiny for their life, he will do anything to run you down, to move you back to the place that he has designed for your life. And so God came to Jonah a second time because you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh, I'm gonna say it one more time, Jonah, and proclaim to it the message that I gave you. And Jonah, not surprisingly, at least in this moment, obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. So here's what I wanna do um, for the next couple moments. And I wanna end this a little different, basically different than I generally ever end any message um, maybe two or three times in, I don't know, hundreds of messages that I've preached, but I just feel this moment so much and the dynamic and the truth of this message is that I wanna give some of you as we end in all of our services today, the opportunity to publicly declare, I'm just done. I'm done running. I'm done pursuing this thing. I'm done saying no to God in this area. I'm done elevating what is starting to look like a worthless idol at the expense of what I know God wants and God desires for my life. And I'm just done. 
And God, like I, I surrender. And, and there's not like magic moments that just change everything, but I, I couldn't stress this enough. There are certain moments where we decide that I'm gonna like put an anchor in the ground that God will use to bring us back to you to go, hey, listen, listen, you, you, you surrendered. I want you to keep following this path. And there's meaningful moments where we kind of make that decision. Not that I'm not gonna mess up, not that I may not even like wander back, but God, as best I can, I want to surrender this to you. And I wanna declare it right now. And it's really this declaration that I've clung to worthless idols. I've clung to things that they're not bad in and of themselves, but I've moved to the place where I've elevated the created thing above the creator. Like I've clung to worthless idols at the expense of the experience of God's love and God's grace and God's favor. It's not that God has retracted any of that, but you don't feel any of that. You're not living in any of that. And you might be at the place right now and I don't know, maybe nobody's there but you may be at the end of a season where you can start to see the chaos that's being created by your running and by your decisions. And you know, at some point, the thing that you're chasing after in your despair, you're gonna surrender that thing anyway. And so this is the moment where I'm gonna expedite the process and I'm gonna surrender that thing now. And then for others of you, like maybe in your despair is the reason that you came to church. This is the story of people every single week. In your despair, you turned on the radio listening to this. In your despair, you're watching this right now. And the chaos of your decisions has you wondering as you come to church or you tune in, does God still love me? Is God still pursuing me? Is there a second time? Is there a third time? For me, is there a seventh time? And I just wanna tell you this, and I don't know if you'll hear it or not, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm hoping that this somehow resonates and moves to your heart from your head. In your despair, when you call out to the Lord, he will answer. And maybe this is the season right now in your despair that God is getting your attention not to pay you back. Jesus came and lived a perfect life we couldn't live died the death we should have died on the cross. This is via his own words. All of our sin dysfunction and all of it for all of humanity, past, present, and future. And then three days later, so that he could anchor something in history so that we could know, he walked out of a grave alive. And everything that he said about his death was validated at his resurrection, that I absorbed all of your sin, all of your dysfunction, all of your unconscionable thoughts, all of your running. I paid the price for the sin that you committed at the cross. And then I declared it is finished at the end of all of it so that you would know that you will never have to pay for that sin again. Your punishment has been absorbed. It is called extravagant grace. It is radical grace. It is undeserved favor. And the moment you say, Jesus, I believe in what you've done and not what I can do for you. I wanna follow you. In that moment, Jesus takes your sin, gives you forgiveness and then makes you a son and a daughter of God so that you have a right standing with him no matter what you do in the future. Because once you place your faith and trust in Jesus, it is not based on your performance, it's based on his. He completed it, he finished it, he did what you could not do. And so in the moment where God is trying to get your attention, it is not to pay you back, you were already paid back through Jesus. It's to get you back, it's to win you back. It's to draw you back. And so in just a second, I wanna give an opportunity for those one or two or 10, or who knows how many people are watching and listening, that moment to say, I am publicly declaring God, I am tired of running. And can I just say one more thing to, to dudes, to guys? That kind of thing scares the heck out of us. 
and I get our resistance, and I get why we don't wanna do it, and, and we're just so averse to all of this type of thing, and you're regretting you came to church. But can I just tell you, I don't, I don't know your story, but you're not resisting me, man. Like you're resisting the pursuit of your heavenly father. And it may be, I don't know, you can just forget this and go your way and not do anything. But for some of you, you know this is a crossroads. You know this is a moment. And this is so, so personal to you, it's a little bit terrifying. This might be the greatest gift that you could give your girlfriend. This might be the greatest gift you could give a fiance or your wife for some of you. And, and you know what I'm talking about. It might be the greatest gift you could give your kids to go, I'm gonna publicly declare because they've already been dealing with the chaos of my decisions for a while. And in fact, they made the connection before I did. Maybe the greatest gift to go, like I'm surrendering in this moment that I'm not gonna run anymore. And can I just say this? It's all about humility. Unhumble people continue to make unwise decisions. The people who are willing to go, I'm gonna humble myself to the extent of inviting the experience of God's grace and God's love in an extraordinary way. When they do that, God begins to work in ways that he doesn't work any other way. And so I just wanna encourage you. I don't know what this moment is for you. I don't know what you've been running from and running toward, but when you cry out in your despair, the answer of your heavenly father is yes, because you can run from me but you cannot outrun me. And I did not come to pay you back. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news. I came, you're here, you're listening to this. That thing inside of you is not my communication skills. It is the power of the spirit of God. I came to win you back, to take you back, to realign you with my will, my destiny, my purpose for your life, because I love you. And so in just a moment, Several on our team are gonna come and we're gonna end with this song as just a declaration of surrender. And in that moment, whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's, it's praying at your seat. You can just remain seated. For others of you, it may be this really old school, but coming forward to God, I just need to pray. And it, it's not a public declaration that changes anything, but I'm just telling you, those moments can anchor something to your heart and soul that makes you accountable moving forward. It's just a different level of accountability. And so whatever that looks like, praying at your seat, coming forward, declaring that there's something that you need to get right, even as you walk out of here, but some kind of declaration to go, I'm done running. I wanna surrender. Before I get there, for others of you, it's next level. And we've all had those moments. I've had those moments. I know how difficult they are. I resist them. I don't like them. And yet these types of moments have been some of the moments that God has used in a, a more profound way than anything else in my life. So the next about minutes, I'm gonna ask some of you who are at that place and you know that you need something to anchor this moment to your soul that, so you don't walk away and go, that was great. I maybe even cried, I felt it, but I didn't do anything with it. This is the moment where you need to publicly declare, God, I surrender to you. So I'm gonna ask you to do is stand up for just a second. I'm gonna pray over you. And um, it is scary. It is an introverted person's nightmare. I am that person. But it might be the moment where God wants to do something where your level of like embarrassment or, or just nervousness is exceeded by your humility and desperation to go, God, I wanna follow you. And I wanna anchor this moment. And I want you to know, I surrender to you. And so in this moment, if that is you, as our team comes for about 30 seconds, 
I'm gonna ask you to stand and stay standing. I wanna pray over you in this moment. And so if that's you and you would declare, I need to stop running. I need to surrender either my life or this area of my life. Would you just stand right now? That's you to go. There's, a, there's an area, there's a moment, there's a place. There's a declaration of my life, but I need to surrender. And we're just gonna sit in the awkwardness for a minute and allow God to work and allow God to use this moment and allow God to anchor this. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I know what it's like to be in these moments. I know how difficult it is, how humbling it is. But God, I I pray for a special measure of your strength your favor, your Holy Spirit's power in moving in the hearts of these people specifically right now who stood up in this room to declare publicly, Jesus, I want you. I'm tired of running. I'm inviting you in. And God, I pray that you would meet them at this point of humility and at this point of declaration in such a way that maybe one of the most profound moments and catalytic events of their life. I pray that they'd experience the power of the Spirit of God. I pray that maybe for some, for the first time in a long time, despite whatever's gone on and despite what they've run from, they would experience the love and the grace and the favor of a perfect heavenly Father that says, I will never give up so God, do your thing in this moment and whatever surrender looks like for us, I pray that, God, we would submit to it. And I ask this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.